listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program and thank you so much for spending some time with me this hour. A terrible tragedy and a horrible story is unfolding this hour in Brampton. And I am going to take you behind the scenes. I am going to give you the latest information that we have on the situation in Brampton and also tell you how to read between the lines of what police are saying. Just before 11 o'clock last night, what came in as a medical call to police brought them to Hipperton Crescent in Brampton. And inside, a terrible discovery. Two boys, age 12 and age 9, are dead. Fairly quickly, police ascertain that the deaths are suspicious. This is what we know and how we know it. Now, in terms of background, I spent many years as the crime specialist for Global News. I spent many years covering crimes like this, going to crime scenes, talking to reporters, talking to neighbors. I want to begin with the official statement from police via Heather Cannon. Now, she is the media officer for Peel Regional Police. And even though, you know, media were on scene for hours in advance of this, Ms. Cannon shows up, she arrives, and the media gather around her, and she begins with her opening statement. What I can confirm is that uh, investigators are interviewing and speaking with the occupants of the house. As far as the relationship to um, the boys and who were in the house, uh, we're not speaking to that at this point just uh, because it's early on and we are trying to maintain the integrity of the investigation. Uh, But as of right now, we are uh, speaking with the occupants uh, of the home. That is pretty much all she will say. We'll not confirm whether or not there is a relationship. What is the family relationship? There's a lot there that is not said. Now, as media officer for Peel Regional Police, Heather knows everybody who's talking to her. Pretty much all of the reporters know her. They know her on her first name. They work with her often. I mean, because she's the media liaison officer, every time anything happens, this is who you contact. This is who speaks on behalf of police. And I'm going to get into more about what she's saying and how to read between the lines in just a moment. But I want to play the key interview from this morning on really the the key piece of information that we have so far on this case, which continues to develop at this hour. This is from a neighbor who provided reporters with much more information than really than we have officially from police. I'm just in shock. Like I came home from work last night. I saw the the cruisers here. And uh, this morning, my daughter said her friend, uh, uh, the then this, the house that they live in, um, they said they found the, the kids dead. So, and um, I don't know what else to say. Sorry. Your wife, and the you boys said were. Your wife was good friends with. Yeah, we were very good friends. My wife is uh, really close to her, and uh, they they go for coffee once in a while, and um, it didn't seem like there was anything wrong. They they go out, they vent, they talk about um, what they do, and every day and uh, can you tell us about the boys the uh, personalities they're, they're just your regular everyday boys they they walk their dog through the neighborhood um, my daughter plays with them once in a while and they're in front of our house and uh, they, they see they play each other with each other at recess at school that is neighbor Paul Rodriguez speaking this morning in Brampton about the shocking discovery of two boys, age 9 and 12, dead in a home. 
Now here is a key bit of information, and I want you to listen closely to this here, because albeit being hearsay, it is an important detail. They lived with their mom and their dad, and they had their sister living in the basement. She's and uh, the sister, yeah. So the, she rents the basement, and um, they—it's uh, just them two in the house. They have a small family. There's some police activity too. Neighbors saw something. What did they see? Um, the only thing I saw that uh, I heard this morning is um, those two gentlemen came out handcuffed, two adults. That is Paul Rodriguez, neighbor, speaking there. And that key piece at the end, did you hear that? First of all, he says he saw, and then he says he heard. And that is so important if you're reporting on this, because that is hearsay. It is what he heard. It is key. First of all, he says gentlemen, then he says two adults. He changes to two adults. So it, that is that is difficult when you hear that as a reporter, and I want to caution you as listeners to treat that information as I present it, which is hearsay. But here is that specific question now put to Constable Cannon. Neighbors say that they saw two people being led away from the home in handcuffs. Uh, can you confirm who those people were? I haven't been made aware of the any status of who uh, they've been speaking with or the uh, or if they were with the residents or, or anything with that. So um, I can't confirm that, but I know that we are speaking with uh, occupants within the house. And investigators um, have advised, though, that, um, that they believe this to be um, isolated at this point and that the threat to public safety that... Um, there isn't any at this point. That is Constable Heather Cannon of the Pure Regional Police answering a question about what neighbors are saying they saw in information that is sort of circulating around that neighborhood. And key at that point, at the end there, that key message of no threat to public safety. Now, the scene itself, this this area is Hiverton Crescent, is a long sort of crescent in a new development in Brampton, close to Sandalwood in Brisdale. And because of the sort of suburban nature of this, and it's, like I say, a long sort of crescent that has brought out a lot of shocked neighbors. And here is neighbor Nina DeBro, who came out this morning in the snow. I'm in pajamas because it's crazy. Did you know the family? Yeah, I know the family. And I know the kids. Something is not right. Any sign of trouble? Well, we, I don't hear nothing because before when they pass, they say hi when they see outside because it's cold now, everybody's inside, you know. We never hear nothing, nothing. That is another neighbor talking this morning about this shocking scene that is unfolding in Brampton. And I want to get back to the press conference with the constable, with the media liaison officer from Peel Region, and also bring in our Priya Sam, who is reporting on this. She's a global news reporter, and you heard her voice in a couple of those clips already asking questions. Hi, Priya. Hi, Alan. Let's get to some of the, well, let's get to this. Has there been an update uh, from the police beyond what was said this morning by Constable Cannon? Unfortunately not. You know, we'd all, all the media who were there had been asking for an update uh, all morning, and then we were told there would be that one at 8.15 that you play clips from. Uh, so we were hoping for some new information. Uh, unfortunately, not much new came out of that uh, update. Uh, the only thing she did confirm was that the 911 call uh, to police did originate inside the home where the boys were found. 
Now, you have to understand for those listening as a reporter that when you start asking questions and police are saying like they won't even confirm what you already know, for example, that they are brothers and that it is a family that lives in that home, you already know that. I want to play this for you about uh, th- this is from the you know, uh, Constable Cannon again and that key question that you keep as- having to ask as a reporter, which is, okay, great, you're not going to tell me anything now. When will you tell me something? I did speak with homicide investigators, and, and like I said, as uh, they progress with their investigation, um, and we would be able to share things. And beyond that, we don't know anything else, Priya, in terms of timing. That's right, Alan. And, you know, it's really unfortunate uh, for the neighborhood as well, uh, for the classmates of these boys, for the parents who are trying to figure out how to talk to their children about what happened here, uh, to not have any answers. And, you know, for neighbors who, even though police say there is no threat to public safety, uh, it is concerning to not have answers uh, to these questions about exactly what happened here. Are you still at the scene, Priya? Uh, we've just left. Okay, but throughout the the morning, because you were there for many hours, there was a sort of a steady stream of neighbors coming out. And and in many cases, I know this from doing this job myself, you become the conduit of information to people just who come from the neighborhood and ask you, what's going on? Exactly. So many people, you can tell that this is a very close-knit neighborhood. Um, Several people came out and said, oh, of course, we know that family. You know, we all talk to each other. All of our kids play together. They walk to school together. Uh, We saw these boys outside playing basketball and hockey. Uh, And, you know, you're right. There was a uh, a lot of interest in this family that many of them care about. Uh, One of the uh, friends of the mother in the family, she stopped by. She said she had just had coffee with her friend last night, uh, that nothing seemed amiss, uh, and that she left work early today. She said she had to see the scene because she just couldn't believe what she was hearing on the news. One of the things that uh, really jumped out at me from that press conference this morning with the constable is the, the question about medical call. And it's a medical call that comes in, but then fairly quickly she said... Uh, they turn, the investigators turn to suspicious death. And I think you can read between the lines there a little bit, Priya. That's right, yes. And the fact that the homicide team was called in so quickly, uh, you know, obviously they they could tell pretty early on that this was uh, more than what it initially seemed like. Uh, Now, neighbors did tell us they saw two people being taken away in handcuffs. Uh, and Constable Cannon did confirm that they were interviewing uh, the two, she said, she called them the two occupants of the home. Isn't that uh, weird, though, Priya? Let me interrupt there for a second, because this is always frustrating to me when it comes to police in this country and covering this sort of thing. Why, I mean, you know, why can we not confirm that these are parents or at least relatives? Agreed. I know, you know, there was a lot of frustration in that in that update this morning. You know, we tried asking the same question several times and uh, understanding, of course, they don't want to compromise the investigation. It just it, it seemed unnecessary to not confirm the information that we can already deduce from uh, the facts that we've received from people in the area who sort of witnessed some of what happened yesterday. Okay, so we don't know when we're going to get any more information, but what we do know is that a tragedy has unfolded this morning in Brampton. Priya Sam is a global news reporter. Thank you so much for being on the on the line. Anytime. And again, it is frustrating. It is frustrating as a reporter, and you you have to balance that. You you balance it in your mind. You think, all right, you know, is this protecting the integrity of an investigation? 
or is this just simply a reluctance to share information? And so often in this country with our police forces, it is the latter. No journalist, no responsible journalist wants to hinder an investigation, perhaps say something that would hurt a future prosecution or court case. And it, we are there as conduits of information, and it is so frustrating sometimes when we just don't get the information from police, and there just does not seem to be any reason for it. Scarborough Agent Court Counselor Jim Karajanis is out, gone, removed as a City of Toronto Counselor. Now, the removal follows a campaign audit that revealed Karajanis overspent on the last campaign. You remember that in 2018? How can we forget? The audit shows he spent thirty-two grand, $32,000 on parties and other expressions of appreciation. Every campaign staffer in the, listening to my voice right now is thinking, why do I not work for Karajanis? I should have worked for him. That sounds like a lot of partying. That sounds like a sweet expression of appreciation. What's the limit for that kind of thing? It's six grand. That's how much he was allowed to spend, which means he overspent his allowance on parties and other expressions of appreciation by $25,000, almost twenty-six if you're doing the math. Jim, what happened? At the advice of a forensic auditor, a clerical mistake was made. Something was filed in the wrong line, and I'm suffering the consequences because of advice of an individual that I followed. That is Jim Karajanis, a former Toronto City Councillor, talking on this radio station about how it's possible that he overspent on parties and expressions of appreciation by nearly $26,000. Oh, one more time, Councillor how possibly did you screw this up? Clerk had to do what they had to do. I realized that uh, I was following advice. Uh, it was uh, it was a mistake, and it was a clerical mistake that we're fighting. And I'm looking back to returning in office very soon to keep working for my constituents. David Nichol is a journalist who writes for Toronto.com and joins me on the line. David, you've covered this case extensively. Uh, is Mr. Karajanis coming back? Who knows if Mr. Karajanis is coming back? Uh, he 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 certainly he certainly wishes to. It, it will be, I think, I would say, not being a lawyer, but I would think it's a fairly high bar that he has to uh, that, that 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 he has to cross uh, when he uh, when he was removed from office. Uh, he actually hasn't had a full uh, a full compliance audit done of his. His, his expenses yet. Uh, he was removed uh, because of changes in the Municipal Elections Act that happened in 2016 that required the clerk when uh, when it was apparent that he had overspent his um, uh, his, his appreciation allowance of, or, or limit of, of just over $6,000 that he simply had to be removed. Uh, he's going to have to prove that that is a, that, that that clerical error is um, is 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 pretty significant. <laughs> I, yeah, I, well, here's here's what I thought about when I read when I heard that last night. Is I thought, you know, if you're playing golf in the PGA uh, and your caddy marks down the wrong score, you lose. Yeah. Uh, if you mark down the wrong thing on your CRA return, you lose. Yeah. 
I think that there, there, there are points where one might be able to correct it, but he did file this very close to his deadline to, to file it. So uh, they, it, it seems as though that deadline's passed. Uh, I, not, be, not being a lawyer myself, I can't say how well he would do in, in, in court attempting to get that overturned, but the legislation is very clear. Okay, so can we get back to 32 grand on parties and other expressions of appreciation? David, do you have any idea what these parties were like? Were you invited to any of them? I was, I was not invited, no. I, 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 Are you just, I, you're bitter. I, I you're bitter this, about it. I came on this story a little bit late. I'm sure, I'm sure I might have got, got an invitation if I were. <laughs> so what, what was this, Bacchanal sort of a I, thing? I, or? I mean, the, the, the parties, it's interesting because the big party was actually originally described as a fundraising event in his, in his initial filing. Uh, that raised, raised some questions because, um, he hadn't raised any money at it. He had he had spent uh, just around around twenty six thousand dollars, and hadn't raised any money. And that was one of the reasons that uh, that the compliance audit committee decided to send this to an external auditor for a, for for a serious audit. Uh, Mr. Kerjanis has appealed the, uh, the the compliance audit that he that he was ordered to to have, and uh, uh, as that appeal goes forward, it it appears as though his revision was to move the fundraising event, which is not subject to a spending limit of of, of any kind, to um, an appreciation event, which which is actually subject to a spending a spending limit. So essentially, he moved from the from, from the pot to the fire <laughs> on this. Uh, he, it, uh, um, Here's the other thing, David. Uh, w- within like w- 15 seconds yesterday, Mr. Karajanis was completely scrubbed from the Toronto website. Like nothing happens at City Hall ever. It's all glacial pace down there, except this. Well, this is a, a, a very clear responsibility given to the to, to the city clerk when, um, when 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 something like this happens, when when something like this occurs on an election expense. The rules are very clear that the uh, the that the councillor is removed from office. They can no longer serve. Uh, and that's the law, and the clerk, uh, clerk, compl- clerk complied, complied with that law. David Nickel is a journalist with Toronto.com and has been covering this whole Karajanis mess. I appreciate you being on the program. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, sir. How's about that for Stalinist, right? You just, Karajanis, I'd never heard of him. Nope, was never here. Photos, nope, nope, didn't happen. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be on Parliament Hill today to congratulate his election winners, his MPs who were re-elected and elected, and then commiserate with all the losers, uh, except for Jane Philpott. I don't expect there be much commiseration there. Uh, and a lot of MPs want Trudeau to pay more attention to views of backbenchers going forward. And also, Andrew Scheer says that he wants Trudeau to bring back Parliament as soon as possible. The Conservative leader, emerging from a seven-hour meeting with his caucus yesterday, says we're all good. We're good. We're all together, and if we're not together, we're doomed. Conservatives only win when we are united, and we always lose when we're divided. We must and we will be laser-focused on the task at hand. That's why we also discussed what our priorities will be Whenever Justin Trudeau decides to get back to work and test the confidence of the House. (laughs) Canadians expect this Parliament and this country to work for them. And the Conservative team stands ready to do just that. Okay, you know what the country also expects is that you don't do something stupid like pull down the government right away because we don't want another election. Nobody wants another election. And also, why is it only politicians ever say stupid things like laser focused? When in your life have you ever said, man, I'm laser focused on lunch? No one says that. But this made me laugh so hard. 
you know Peter McKay, right? You know he's aiming for the job. He's already, he's the knives are out, folks. So what do you do if you're Andy Shear? You keep your enemies close. John Baird will lead a thorough external review of the campaign. John is well respected in our party and in our movement, and he will bring a valuable, independent perspective to identify exactly what we need to improve on for the next election campaign. Now, I'm not saying Mr. Baird's his enemy, but you get him close. You get all those guys that might be thinking about making a run. You keep them in tight. That's how you do that. Now, what do you make of this? I want to play this back and forth forth for you. Do you think that Mr. Shear's position on gay marriage, on homosexuality in general, is something that will make him unelectable going forward? Check out this back and forth from a reporter and Andrew Shear. You are still yeah. not giving no, your personal view. So my question for you is, do you believe that being gay is a sin? No, look, look, this is, we made it very clear during the election, in the last few months and years, our party is inclusive. We believe in the quality of right, rights of all Canadians. We are, personal I, my personal opinion? opinion is that I respect the rights of every single Canadian. That is my personal opinion. And my personal <laughs> commitment Come is on. to stand up for That is my personal yes. opinion. And my personal commitment to Canadians is to always fight for the rights of all Canadians, including LGBT. I'm going to say this. If, if you are a, a person who thinks that that exchange is not appropriate, that absolutely, that is, man can have a personal conviction, you're probably already a conservative voter, right? And that's a problem. Because Mr. Shear's never going to be prime minister unless he convinces those people who voted against him to change their minds and vote for him going forward. And that's going to be tough to do. Hit me with a beat. Weed. <laughs> That's right. You know, I only love my bed, my mama, and my joint. I'm sorry. God's plan, apparently, is that Drake will team up with Canopy Growth Corporation under a new agreement. They're going to launch something called More Life Growth Company. Drake's going to hold a 60% stake. Drake has got to get paid. And Canopy Growth will get the other 40%. What it is, is exclusive intellectual property and branding. And you know that when it comes to pot and legal weed, it's all about branding. So would you smoke some of the champagne pappy, is what I'm asking. Because Canopy is betting heavy that you will. Do you like superhero movies? I am on the record for saying I don't. I don't care for them. Uh, and nobody paid any attention to my opinion, but when Martin Scorsese said it, whoa, things went nuts. He, he said famously recently that he didn't consider superhero movies and all these new action, you know, Marvel movies to be cinema, quote unquote. And then he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times trying to expand on that and say, well, you know, it might be a good movie to you, but it's not cinema to me. Well, one Marvel star has some thoughts on those comments by Scorsese. 
I never freeze. Black Panther swinging back at Martin Scorsese after the director's recent comments and op-ed saying Marvel movies aren't cinema. Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman called Scorsese a genius and said he has the right to his opinion, but... Why didn't he ever um, question his contemporaries that made some of the films? You know, why doesn't he question... Um, George Lucas when he makes Star Wars. Bozeman's new movie, 21 Bridges, is in theaters November 22nd. His aesthetic doesn't have to be, you know, everybody's opinion. But obviously he is a genius. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. (laughs) Obviously he's a genius. He's a jerk. But he's a genius. Genius jerk. John O'Shea is with us. He is our global news consumer reporter and filed just an absolutely fascinating story earlier this week about a contractor who has been accused of scamming people and not finishing the job. And you have an update on that story. Hi, Sean. Hi, Alan. Good afternoon. I thought we were going to talk about geniuses. Jerk geniuses, sir. That would be the intro. Jerk geniuses. <laughs> um, I want to play for this because th- this is the portion of the story that you filed earlier this week where you actually confront this contractor and ask him why it is that he takes the money but doesn't do the job. Let's play a little of that. How come you take money from people but don't do the work? That's just not true. You took $33,000 in cash. You didn't finish the job. You walked away. How come? I did the job, actually. Sean, who are you talking to there? Uh, well, I'm talking to a guy, his name, real name is Ronald Gull, but he goes by the name Ron Castle, Ron Atkinson, Steve, Steve Atkinson, different names depending on who he has hooked up for contracts for home renovation. And when people complained about it, they actually took this guy to a uh, small claims court. They actually got, you know, orders that they pay, he pay. And, and what happened with all of that? Unfortunately, uh, Alan, the the problem with these stories is that they they happen all the time. What was interesting about this one particularly was he set people up to do work. He did part of the work badly, and then he made off with the rest of the money. These people that I interviewed for the story earlier in the week, and I've interviewed people who saw that story since who also dealt with him, yeah, they went to small claims court. They, They won in small claims court. They got a judgment against him, which to the average person means they're going to get their money back. The problem is that in the system with small claims court, you not only have to win, but you have to go and get judgment. You have to go and find assets. You have to find a property. You have to find an income. You have to be able to convince the court that this person can pay. That's the problem here. He's, he's virtually insulated himself because these people can't get their money. And as we found after we heard the story on Monday, many, many other people also dealt with this man and have also lost substantial amounts of money. And that's, that's unfortunate. And it's a, a lesson to people, Alan, about not paying all the money up front and making sure you're really dealing with somebody who can do the job and will not leave you high and dry. Sean, here's more of your confrontation with that contractor. You took cash, you walked away, you didn't finish the job. Well, what is true? What is the truth? How do you get those moments on camera, Sean? Uh, well, there's a secret sauce, but um, <laughs> we, we find out where they're going to go, Alan. You know, and, and, and people like this gentleman, he's advertising in Kijiji. He's not living in a, in a cave in Afghanistan. He's you know, working in the greater Toronto area. He's out there hustling business, and he is still doing that today. He's got an ad in Kijiji. And, uh, and, and so we, we find people because people who are disaffected by contractors and other 
people who have, have done things that are not right come forward. Uh, part of it is trying to get the money back, Alan. These people who lost $26,000 want their money back. I interviewed a woman today who's who not only lost $26,000 or $27,000, but the work he did was so bad she had to spend another $6,000 just to rip it out before she could go and hire somebody else to do it right. Better that he took the money and didn't do any work. The, the, the real sad part too, Alan, is that when they go to police in many of these cases, the smart contractors who are, and I gotta say, there's a lot of great contractors out there listening. Uh, I've worked with some, I know many, so I don't wanna paint everybody with the same brush because most contractors are really good. But the people who are out to take people's money are smart enough to do some of the work as opposed to just taking the money and leaving because once you've done some work, police officers are loath to try to lay a charge. And the smart people, know that. So the reality is you can't get your money back easily through small claims court. You're not going to get satisfaction by seeing people get arrested and charged usually. And it frustrates people. It makes people angry. And it's heartbreaking for people that have spent hard-earned money and don't get what they paid for. All right. Sean O'Shea is our Global News consumer reporter. And Sean, you'll have a, a fresh story on that tonight on Global News? We will at uh, Global News at 5.30 in your studio. Thank you. Not not mine. I'm just visiting. And just quickly, how do people get in touch with you? Because I think a lot of people might be thinking, hey, maybe even have dealt with this particular man or something similar. Very easy, Alan. Uh, Email is sos at globalnews.ca, sos at globalnews.ca. Or if you like the Twitter, it's at ConsumerSOS. Sean, always great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alan. All the best. So isn't that interesting? You know, when you, somebody does a crappy job, you're going to yell at them in the front yard, I'll sue you! And the guy's going to look at you and go, go right ahead. Doesn't make any difference. Uh, who's that calling me? Who calls? Oh, my gosh, it's another one of those scammers. Is your phone just going off recently, just crazy with a number of scam phone calls? I think everybody is experiencing a big jump in this, no matter what phone company you're with, whatever service provider you're with. Recently, the Ottawa police said that the phone scam has popped up there. It's been going across the country. Fraudulent phone calls, both phone and landlines. And it it shows the number of a legitimate government agency. There's a recorded message that says it's Service Canada, and you got to press one to avoid prosecution for a crime. Don't press one. Yeah, people who have continued with the call have been directed to purchase gift cards or Bitcoin in order to avoid prosecution. Here's something, and I don't mean to be crass I, or, or 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 high and mighty about it because. You know, you can be fooled by these things, but Revenue Canada doesn't take a gift card. I'm just, I'm going to say to you that winner's gift card is not going to help with your taxes. Okay? Okay. So Canada's telecom companies right now are rolling out new call blocking technologies that they say will reduce the number of phone calls you get from scam artists. And the move is in direct response from the CRTC that basically said to the big telecoms, you got to do this and you have until December 19th of this year to take some action. So Bell Canada and Rogers are working on the problem, but it's more difficult than you might think. Because think about the phone calls that you do get that you want. You know, that reminder to go to the dentist. I missed a dentist appointment on Tuesday, by the way. I wish there had been a phone call. 
or, you know, Amazon or Canada Post notifying you that your package is there. Are you going to forget about your hair appointment? Maybe you need a text from your hair, hair salon. So those are the sort of things that you want to come through, whereas you don't want the scammers. It's difficult to do that from a technological point of view. And when it comes to your cells, and you're using a cell phone, you know that this week it became law in this province, pardon me, to that students can't have their, their cell phones when they're in class. And then the very day this happens, Queens Park journalists are snapping photos of guess what? Right there in question period, MPP after MPP on their phone. Okay, so wait, if the kids can't have it in class, how about our elected representatives that we're paying a lot of money to? Maybe you could pay attention? Maybe? Well, the the thing is, is the question period is all theater, and most of the people don't get to talk anyway, so why not get something done? Why not do some shopping? Well, does it really make any difference this cell phone ban for kids. Megan Colley is a global news online reporter and joins me in studio. Hey, Megan, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So you've looked into this. What do the experts say? This whole thing with taking the cells away from the kids, is it working? So the data is sparse, obviously. It just started in Ontario, um, but the opinions from the outside are varied widely. Experts are disagreeing across the board um, from what I can tell. So I spoke to a couple experts who are also parents um, and they were in support of the ban. They were happy to see that their kids would have some time off of those phones. But I spoke to another expert, um, Nancy Walton from Ryerson University, and she thought that the ban was sort of missing the point, which I thought was interesting. She was talking about how kids now have really limited attention spans and that's what we need to tap into and figure out a new way to tackle that problem. The cell phones, she said, are just a symptom of this larger issue. Um, and so if if she's a teacher, it's her responsibility, in her opinion, to be more interesting than Instagram, is what she told me. Oh, okay. Yeah. That maybe we could get a uh, directive from the province to teachers to be more interesting. I mean, it's an interesting um, proposition because she said, we've been teaching the same way for years and years, like since the beginning of the modern school system. Teachers have been standing at the front of class with a blackboard and talking. And she's saying maybe that's not the most effective way to tap into what students are looking for. She also said that to ban cell phones outright is to ignore a massive part of life now. Um, So to to say that kids can't use it for, you know, eight hours out of the day, you are missing an opportunity to teach them how to interact with their cell phone and all the things that it allows them to do in a thoughtful way, in a critical way, you know, talking about massive issues we have right now like online bullying um that's a that's a an opportunity where you can interact with your your students in a helpful way you make a great point there and i want to bring in shiva Siddiqui, who is my producer on this program who has a 10 year old who does not have a cell phone is that correct absolutely no cell phones in our house for children nope and how does he feel about that? Oh, he hates it. He tells me he's the only one in his class, which is actually not true because I'm friends with the other parents. Okay, so you've called him out on that, Sib. <laughs> yes, I'd say half the kids in his class have cell, have cell phones, but he doesn't need one. He doesn't need one. No. Okay, well, let's get back to the whole sort of, you know, teaching kids about social media and how to deal with the phone. Megan, what do the experts say about that? Well, obviously, it's tricky. Um, you know, the... 
it's a, it's a part of their life and social media is going to be a part of their life. What experts said is if you can hold them, if you can keep them away from that for as long as possible, Tense do that. Or, I like, agree. Because obviously we're talking about different things with high school and, and school and stuff like that. You yes. know, he's in grade five. But so. he's in grade five. Yes. Right. So it, 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 Sheba, is there a plan to get him a cell phone? Oh, absolutely. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We're just sort of gauging his maturity, his need for it. You Are know, you doing it as like a carrot and a stick sort of thing? Like if you do well, you're going to get a no. cell phone? That, no. no. No, the reward not. is not technology. No. You mean, no. I mean, I do Man, see you're a need. a way need. better parent than me. <laughs> it's, well, he's my eldest. Ask me with my fourth. Uh-huh. Fourth well. will be five years old when <laughs> giving him a cell phone. Who I, knows? See, oh, see with, I only have two. And I had, if I had four kids under 10, they'd all have iPads <laughs> just loaded with videos. And just and no. just for, how do you get, how do you make dinner without oh, that? We take them out for dinner all the time. And nobody's got technology at the table. No, we're we're very old school in that way. Saad and I just believe in let's have some good old conversation. I, I have enormous respect. You know, m- my daughter Megan talked about, and she's in grade nine, she, she talked about this kind of, you know, being forced to have it taken away didn't make any sense because she had some teachers who would say in the last five minutes of class, okay, take out your phones. If you're done your test, take out your phones. And you can do that sort of thing. But now the problem says you, nobody can do that. Well, there are some exceptions to the ban. So it's got to be school. It's, it's got to be research. If right? There are pedagogical reasons. Yeah, which but that's <laughs> not that's not take out your you know check. You can check your feed for no. five minutes. No, but I think what is missing from this whole conversation, as Walton was telling me, um, and as Sheba was saying too, is that we're not. Um, teaching them how to use this thing critically like if even if the teacher at the end of the class is saying take it out you can use it you can go on instagram there's no conversation about how to use instagram in a thoughtful way especially as a ninth grader you know your daughter she's probably experiencing you know the stresses that come along with being a teenage girl there there are many even without social media and now she has this added layer so whether or not there's a teacher saying take out your phone that's not really the problem that these experts want us to engage with it's more like at some point or another all of these kids are going to have phones they're going to have social media how do we teach them how to use it in a in a smart way but to Sheba's point I if I could go back and like realize what was happening I would want my parents to not give me a phone really you would how, what how old were you when they gave you a phone um so I was I'm the oldest of four so I was probably <laughs> t- 10 or 11 because I think they were just like freaked out that I was always in charge <laughs> and then how old was your youngest sibling when they got a cell phone oh my god um like a Todd, like <laughs> six, seven. Yeah. Be, right. I don't know. He just grew up using cell sure. phones. But He's now, been microchipped. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now being someone who like my whole life, especially being a journalist, my whole life is online. What I would give for a couple more years of just peace and quiet and not an Instagram feed. I completely agree with you because it's coming. It's coming. It's, it's going to, he'll get there yes, eventually. And then he will I not hope he's listening. get off of it. <laughs> he will not get off once he gets it. So I'm trying no, to hold him off. Ain't that the truth? I, I tell you, I, I, it, here's the problem is, is if you don't establish those ground rules right out of the gate and, and, and just keep to them, don't back away because now I have trouble with both of my kids because I didn't, we didn't establish a parameter and solidly enough early enough and now it's tougher to take it back. But you probably didn't even know because it's a new experience for no, you too. No, I'm totally. And, and this I'm is the problem, right? Terrible behavior. Well, adults are addicted to them too. That's like the, it. the topic so then, is that the it's a distraction for all people. 
So we're all yeah. struggling to set these guidelines yeah. now, so right? So, Ellen, don't they call you out on your cell phone use? Oh, they call me out on everything. <laughs> That's what having kids is all about. We are out of time. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Megan Colley Thank is you. a global online reporter and journalist, and you can read her story about banning cell phones. Does it work in schools? That's on globalnews.ca right now. And Shiba Siddiqui is my very talented and very hardworking producer. Great Four kids. Here. Yeah.